Howdy. What is happening? What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. It's the Pete Callender Show. I am the Pete Callender of the show. And uh, you can hear all of the latest episodes by downloading the podcast. Head to your favorite podcast platform. If you don't know what your favorite platform is, uh, head over to thepetecalendarshow.com, and I've got a list of all of the available platforms where we are located. You can also join the Facebook group, which is on Facebook, uh, The Pete Calendar Show. And the show is made possible by patrons uh, via the Patreon page. Folks like Nancy and NC38. I don't know. I just read the names. Nick and Nick and Pamela and Patty and Paul and Peggy and Rebecca and Ron, thank you very much for all of your support. I appreciate it. Couldn't do the show without you. Um, also couldn't do the show without Mattress Man and, frankly, couldn't really sleep um, as well as I do without Mattress Man. Uh, for starters, because I bought a bed from Mattress Man about eight years ago. It's a memory foam. We love it. Christy and I love the bed. And without that bed, I would be uh, sleeping on the floor or an air mattress, actually. That's what I was sleeping on before when I first arrived in Asheville. <laughs> we had no bed. And so I was sleeping on an air mattress uh, for about a year almost. So uh, that's, you know, it's one of the sacrifices I make to, to do this work. Um, but now got a mattress man bed and would highly recommend you get one too. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Pete, I can't go to one of their four locations in Asheville, Arden and Hendersonville because of all of the COVID stuff. Well, you're in luck because they have uh, a totally revamped website now. So they've got uh, all of the inventory in all of their four stores. Uh, they've got it all up on their website and that's at mattressmanstores.com. And if you're local, you get free local white glove delivery. They ship everywhere, though. And they have a 120-day comfort guarantee, which means you're going to love the mattress. Okay? And if you don't, they will exchange it for free with the 120-day comfort guarantee for a limited time, right? So after, you know, after you make the purchase, you get the white glove delivery. You sleep on it for like three months, four months. And uh, then you can exchange it if, for some reason, it's not everything you dreamed it would be, which I'm pretty sure it's going to be, because they've got the best mattresses at Mattress Man. They really do. Uh, we've got the memory foam, but they also have uh, inner spring. They've got pillow top, latex mattresses. They've got the adjustable bases, um, and they recognize that people sleep differently. And so how you sleep, if you're a back sleeper, a side sleeper, whatever, that uh, that requires a different mattress than if you sleep in a different position and they know this, the sleep consultants, they go through like six weeks of extensive training. So they learn these things, put them to work for you. Mattressmanstores.com experience the difference at Mattressman buy local and sleep better. So an update on the story out of Henderson County. Uh, this is from WLOS. I mentioned this story uh, yesterday that two employees now of Cherry Springs Assisted Living Community in Hendersonville said that the director of the residential unit was lax when it came to overseeing and implementing strict protocols to prevent a COVID-19 outbreak at the facility. Henderson County health officials on Monday said that it is presumed everyone at the facility is now infected. That's the presumption. There are 60 beds at this facility. Uh, two employees spoke with WLOS. They went. Uh, they wanted to be uh, anonymous because of fear of reprisal. And they say that administrators failed to invest in medical equipment and implement strict rules before COVID-19 began spreading. 
So the first charge, as mentioned here in the piece at WLOS.com by Kimberly King, the reporter on the story, the first charge is that for a whole week, the staff was using one thermometer. And uh, I assume that's an oral thermometer. I'm go- I assume not, like, not one of the temporal scanner ones. I-, I assume, because I don't know what the big deal would be if it was one of the scanner type of uh, thermometers. But um, the director of clinical services, D. Brooks, she responds, uh, reuse of a thermometer would not be uncommon as long as it was cleaned between residents. Okay, yes, well, obviously so. <laughs> I would assume that the thermometer would be cleaned between uses. Uh, one of the uh, So then the next charge here is that the Cherry Springs employee also said sanitizing equipment was not sufficient. And uh, the, again, director of clinical services responded that that's not true, that they have adequate supplies uh, to meet all of the community needs, but acknowledges there is a nationwide shortage. As you know, there is a nationwide shortage, she said. Why would you say that if you have all of the the if you have all of the products you need, why would you mention a national shortage? Hmm. Um, and then uh the story goes on to say that both employees spoke with News uh, 13 uh and they think that the most serious uh serious issue involves how the first employee and her son were handled by administrators. Okay, so I'm not clear um, who the first employee is that they're talking about in this story. I'm not clear if what they're saying is that you've got these two employees, these two anonymous employees that are talking to the news media, uh, that they are talking about another third person, basically, and that person would be patient zero, the first employee to get it. So I'm not sure if they're talking about that employee or if they're talking about one of themselves, right? There are two of them, and here's the first one, here's the second one. So I'm not sure, because if they are talking about themselves, if one of the if one of the employees is the person they're talking about, I don't know the point of going anonymous, because you're about to get some pretty critical pieces of information about who this person is, okay? So, but, it, here's, but here's what it says in the script, or in the story online, I'm just reading it. But both employees News 13 spoke with think the most serious issue involved how the first employee and her son were handled by administrators. Quote, she had symptoms March 28th. She was sent home with a temperature of over 100 degrees, was quarantined. Her son, who is an employee and lived with her, was called and allowed to come back to work before her test results came in. And her test ended up being positive. When they learned of her positive test, they sent her home April 1st. But he, the son, had already been in the building working. See what I mean? How many how many mother-son duos are there working at this facility? I'm pretty sure that everybody's going to know who they're talking about. Okay, So I think this is a third person. But I'm not clear. But it, it seems like that to me. I think this is the first the first employee that got diagnosed with it. The two staffers believe... That was how COVID-19 first came into the building, and they think the executive director should have taken extra precautions and sent the son home when his mother was sent home with a fever on March 28th. I would think that would be a standard, yeah, if you live with the person that's got the COVID-19, everyone in the house gets quarantined, right? Wasn't that the, these were the types of stories we heard at the beginning of all of this, you know, like, uh, uh, 
you know, people being quarantined with roommates or uh, or uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, they just started dating and now they're quarantined together, that kind of thing. Like, I remember seeing these stories a couple of weeks ago. So why wouldn't you, why would you allow the sun to come back while you're waiting on the test results from patient zero at your facility? Um the uh, the facilities, what is her title here? Director of Clinical Services, D. Brooks, responds to this allegation saying, quote, I am not familiar with the details of when he worked last, okay, which doesn't exactly inspire confidence here. She says, quote, I would need to familiarize myself with that. But as soon as we received the information, her test was positive. He was no longer placed on the schedule. But the staffers that spoke anonymously, WLOS, they say that was too late. And I got to tell you, I kind of agree with them. <laughs> I kind of agree with them on that. A little bit too late. Uh, what else have we got going around the state here? We've got, oh, yes, the fight between Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, U.S. Senator, uh, versus the Charlotte Observer. This is an interesting, uh, this was an interesting story that popped up over the course of the last three days or so. Uh, so first off, you have to understand do you know who Reverend Flip Benham is? I think his real name is Philip. Um, and I, I, I've spoken with him a couple times in years ago when he was the one that was out there, you know, proselytizing and he uh, moved his uh, uh, he moved his uh, order, I guess, or whatever his group. Um, I think it was Operation Rescue, I think was the name. I forget. I think that was it. Um and then they they changed the name Operation Save America, I believe, something like that. But he was based in the Charlotte area, and they moved, I want to say, to Concord. And I was a reporter in Charlotte when that happened. And uh, so that's when I first came into contact with him and his uh, congregants. And they would show up at some city council meetings or county commission meetings and such. Um, he has two sons that are the Benham brothers, and I think they've now sort of taken over this ministry. But they also... I think they did like an HGTV show and it caused all this controversy because like they got the show and then people were like, wait a minute, that's Flip Benham's kids. And what Flip Benham and and his ministry would do is they would go and protest outside abortion clinics. And uh, this was, you know, 25 years ago, I want to say now, and their uh, their operation was a little bit more in your face, was a little bit more combative and aggressive than a lot of the demonstrations that are uh, that occur nowadays. And it seems like there was one of these that occurred, and there have been a couple in the state of North Carolina for the past uh, week or so. There have been a couple of these outside of abortion clinics, and they basically just go out there and they uh, they pray. And then they try to minister to anybody who's coming in seeking an abortion. And they try to offer an alternative to those women. Um, as I understand it, again, every experience I'm sure is different. And there are, I'm sure, people that behave poorly. But the Benham brothers, they had this HGTV show. Then they found out, oh, my God, you're Flip Benham's kids. And then they lost their show, if I recall correctly. Um, and uh, they were out, uh, they, they are now with the group, I'm trying to see the name of it, it's called, uh, well, I'll get, uh, Love Life, okay, a Charlotte-based group. So I'm not sure if this is the same group that their dad was doing, um, Operation Rescue or Save America, or whatever, or if this is a completely different thing altogether, but it seems to me like they're doing some uh, targeted protesting with the point of raising awareness and or legal challenges. All right, so here's the original story. Uh, this comes out uh, uh, on uh, April 4th. 
So, what, about four days ago. Police, over the weekend on Saturday, charged eight Charlotte abortion protesters with violating North Carolina's COVID-19-related ban on mass gatherings. The arrests went national late Saturday when U.S. Senator Ted Cruz of Texas criticized Charlotte Mecklenburg police. Okay, this is the Charlotte Observer's story. Uh, This is an unconstitutional arrest, said Ted Cruz on um, Twitter. Um, Cruz, they identify him as a runner-up for the Republican presidential nomination in the 2016 election. He said, Benham Brothers exercising core First Amendment rights peacefully in a way fully consistent with public safety. Because elected Democrats are pro-abortion, they are abusing their power in a one-sided way to silence pregnancy counselors. Okay, so there were about 50 protesters that were out at this uh, event, and that, that size... 50, crowd size, violates the mass gatherings provision in the state's stay-at-home order. So police said they asked everybody to leave. After an initial request for compliance, 12 people who were in violation refused to leave, and they were cited under the state law for violation of emergency prohibitions and restrictions. This comes from the CMPD news release. After police issued these citations, 8 of the 12 still refused to leave, and they got arrested. Okay, video posted to the Facebook page of Love Life, a Charlotte based group that opposes abortion, shows CMPD cars outside the clinic Saturday on Thursday. Four people affiliated with Love Life filed a federal lawsuit against the Greensboro mayor and a lieutenant with the Greensboro Police Department after they were arrested March 28th for violating the stay at home orders of that city and Guilford County while they were protesting outside an abortion clinic there. The four plaintiffs contend their arrests violated their First Amendment rights to free speech and protest at the clinic. So I read this information, and what what my takeaway is that this is designed to get attention, coverage, and court challenges, right? In other words, their purpose is to get arrested for violating the order. And um, now... I'm old enough to remember when the media celebrated these types of actions. Uh, we had a couple of them. I want to say it was be, they were being held like every Monday for a while. What was that? Oh, that's right. The Moral Monday movement. Remember that? The MOMO. The Moral Mondays. Every Monday, all these people would go to the legislature and uh, disrupt the proceedings and get themselves arrested. And these people were heroes. I mean, these were people standing up for the democracy and uh, and the people and the rights and uh, the democracy. If I haven't mentioned it again, I think they were standing up for also the democracy. Yeah, it was a huge thing. Media loved them. Full swoon. Lots of coverage. Not so much here for some reason. Calla Hales, the executive director of this clinic, she called it a public health nightmare. She said that the protesters were not following social distancing during previous protests, and they did not wear gloves or masks when they approached patients coming into the clinic to speak with them, distribute literature, and to try to convince them not to have an abortion. Now, that I would say that part is fair. Like, if you're, if you're going to go out and do the protest, then you need to adhere to the distancing and such. And wear masks, although I don't know if you're allowed to wear a mask at a protest. Okay, so I think what, what's going on here is Ted Cruz knows the Benham brothers. I think that's the deal. And uh, so he goes on to Twitter and he blasts the arrests, right? He, he sends out this tweet. So that prompts then the Charlotte Observer editorial board to respond, or dare I say, pounce. The board pounces... <laughs> 
<laughs> on Ted Cruz's tweets. They the, Here's the headline. Ted Cruz isn't just wrong about an NC abortion protest and COVID-19 rules. He's shameless. Charlotte abortion protesters David and Jason Benham got a surprise surge of publicity this weekend thanks to a U.S. senator who selfishly decided that a moment of political opportunity was more important than a message of public health. Isn't that interesting? That's an interesting way to frame it. Uh, did, did you guys interview Ted Cruz by any chance? No, you didn't. You just assumed his motive, right? You assumed his motive, selfishly decided, right? So you now have put yourself into his thinking right into his brain. You've gotten right into his brain, and now you know why he decided to do something. He decided that a moment of political opportunity was more important, and that was selfish of him. He decided to do that. Could it be that he was just like, hey, this is wrong. Hey, these guys got arrested for this. Doesn't seem like that's uh, a legitimate arrest, because that's what he said. They, later on in their editorial, they say, apparently Cruz couldn't be bothered to do a little homework before popping off his outrage tweet. Had he done so, he might have learned that the Love Life members were, in fact, violating the local orders to stay at home, the restrictions and abortion protests or public counseling of this kind are not among the activities currently allowed in Charlotte. You know, let's be clear, we respect that Love Life and the Benhams believe that abortion should be outlawed and... You know, we're totally fine with them. Just not right now. You, you can't do it right now, is what they say. Constitutional freedoms, including speech, are not absolute. They are weighted against public health and safety considerations, and the courts have a long history of this. And, you know, Cruz graduated from Harvard Law, and he should know all of this. It's pretty likely he does know this, actually. His support of the abortion protesters was a political pantomime, not a serious legal opinion. It was a cheap play for fist pumps, but it comes with a cost. It's undermining everyone's faith in their public officials here, you know. As our country enters its most trying week with COVID-19, our leaders should be delivering the opposite message of what Cruz is doing, diluting the orders in Charlotte and everywhere else. Even when you don't want to follow him, they say, even when it's inconvenient, even if you think you have something important to do or say. Which is interesting because under all of this shutdown stuff, what has been the argument is that this is done to prevent the loss of life. We're doing all of this to prevent the loss of life, which is exactly the same thing that is motivating and animating the Love Life folks to go minister and, and counsel uh, women before they get an abortion not to have the abortion, right? They're trying to save lives too. So it's actually the exact same uh, rationale at play here, but one's okay, one's not. Ted Cruz responded to this, by the way, on Twitter. He said, Charlotte newspaper editorial demonstrates the dishonesty of today's media. They say it's just neutral public health concerns that allow Democrats to arrest the Benham brothers for peacefully speaking for life. The newspaper says that's not essential. But the paper ignored that the North Carolina Democratic governor has wrongly deemed elective abortions essential. That allows abortion doctors and staff to gather in larger groups, right? So if they're allowed to gather in large groups, and if providing abortions is essential, then peacefully giving pregnant women counseling on alternatives to abortion is also essential, right? If, you've, if you're saying that this service is essential, well, there's a pro and a con here, right? There are two sides to this service. And you can't just say, 
well, thumb on the scale, this side's free to uh, engage in, uh, in whatever activity they would like, but the other side, not so much. And that's what Cruz is arguing, right? That's what he is saying. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. It's a pretty logical point, which is probably why the edit, uh, the editorial board of the Observer completely missed it, right? Like that's sorry. <laughs> what would I do without the editorial board? What would I do without Rowena Patton? Well, if I'm trying to buy or sell a house, I'm probably not buying or selling a house because without Rowena Patton, it's a lot tougher, um, especially in today's uh, current environment. And uh, for example, like maybe you need to sell your home, and you're thinking we can't even hold an open house right now. Right. Well, the good news is Rowena Patton has been offering walking tour videos of homes since 2007 on every listing. Okay, so it's just like the real thing, meaning buyers can tour your home without having to leave their home. And that means you don't get all of the people walking through your home, touching everything, sneezing on everything. You know, you don't want that. So uh, call Rowena. Start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton. And her all-star powerhouse team, the number 333-4483. That's 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. She is the only agent that I would call buying or selling. Rowena Patton and the all-star powerhouse team. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Tell her you heard it here and uh, start packing. Joining me now is Chad Adams. He is a conservative commentator. He's also the owner of Wilmington's Big Talker, 106.7 FM. WilmingtonBigTalker.com is the website. Chad, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I am fantastic. Yeah, uh, you say fantastic, but we were talking before. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking beforehand, and uh, you said you seem to be uh, existing in a parallel universe, and I think there's a lot of people, and maybe it's because North Carolina has kind of been under these orders now for, what, three weeks or so, it seems like. It seems like much longer, actually, but I'm watching as other states and, and localities, uh, people are like, oh, we're on quarantine day three, and you know, I'm looking around like, wow, we've been holed up for <laughs> almost a month now, and some of the some of the rules are getting kind of weird, I should say. Let, let, let me start with this Oak Island rule. Um, this one might be one of the weirdest, uh, and that's why we wanted to talk to Chad. There's a couple things going on down east that are weird <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when it comes to this stuff. So start off with the Oak Island uh, rule. So, you know, a lot of people, Dare County closed the bridges. So if you weren't a, Even if you were a property owner, if you didn't live there, you couldn't get across to your property. But down here, the town of Oak Island, the mayor sent out a decree that nobody, you can walk on the streets. You can walk on the streets near the beach, but you're not allowed to walk on the sand. They closed all the public access. So if you have a house that's beachfront and you try to walk, you can't walk on the sand. Now, a lot of people believe that they don't have dominion over the sand. Uh, but whether it's high tide or low tide, doesn't matter. The seagulls are confused. Uh, a lot of other critters are confused. There are no people. It's like the, the end of the world. If you were to look at the beach, there are no people allowed on the beach. And even though the town probably doesn't have the right to do this. Does sand have some specific property that transmits the coronavirus? That, are that it, you're It's aware? magical sand, dude. It's magical sand. <laughs> now, the beach next door, Caswell Beach, did not. Uh, they, they closed their parking areas. Obviously, all cars next to each other, people, you know, gallivanting around, getting in and out of their cars, I guess. But the beach, if, you, if you're out there, if you live there, you can still walk on the beach. It's encouraged because it's a way for people to get out. And, and there's plenty of distance on these. This isn't like a two foot wide, narrow strand of sand. These are wide beaches. There's plenty of room. So uh, and they claim they're doing it because someone 
abused that and ordered pizza and beer on the beach and had like a mini spring break. And so instead of punishing the people who violated the premise of 10 people getting together, they decided to punish everybody. Which, yeah, I don't understand. Well, there's a lot of this stuff I don't understand. <laughs> We're in an alternate universe. We fell through. Yeah. In our world that we, for sci-fi fans, in our world, everything is still normal, but in this world, it is not. And we're just surrendering these rights for the sake of safety, in which that uh, you know, and, and you know, the, the counts of New Hanover County and Brunswick County are not that high, and your part of the state they're not that high. But we are preemptively ending a lot of our rights and privileges in this country and state. And you're, and to be clear, so you're allowed to still walk in public. You can walk down the street. You can walk on a sidewalk. And and my wife and I, we actually went walking the other day. And the sidewalks here in Asheville are just atrocious. I think they're about 13 inches wide at their widest point through most parts of the city. And so when you're walking, like my wife and I were basically single file on the sidewalk. But then somebody comes walking up the other direction. And now, you know, there's this whole sort of dance that has to occur, this social distancing dance where we kind of stay six feet away from each other as, you know, one one of us will have to go out into the street or up onto the grass or something. And uh, so that still occurs on the sidewalks in Oak Island, but not on the beach. You can't even walk on the beach. Are you allowed to look at the beach? Or is this like uh, when uh, they shut down the government and they blocked off the the view of Mount Rushmore because it was a national park? Was it something like that? There you go. It's, uh, you can breathe the beach air. You can. But you can't, can't go walk out on the sand. There's okay. something magical about the sand. Hmm. So I, I don't know what it is. But it's funny you mention that because I noticed it too. I was walking up at a park, or not a park, but a walking trail. And you kind of, you know, People glare at you now if you get too close or they get too close. You might get a glare when you're passing <laughs> someone. And it's funny because just six months ago if that happened, it was racism. Remember? <laughs> it was racism. This latent racism everybody had. Everybody's crossing the street. Like you have to. Right. Everybody's so now the everybody crosses the street when they see anybody else coming. It is Of any race. Right. Yeah. It is pretty amazing, the, the looks, because we did get some of those. It's almost like they look at you as if – like you're doing something that they're not, you know, like, wait a yep. minute, I'm not trying to kill you by walking down the street and, you know, approaching you just like you're not trying to kill me by walking down the street and approaching me. Like we just happen to run into each other. It's okay. Yep. You know, I, I won't cough on you and don't sneeze on me and we'll be cool. Like that's, yes. that's it. Oh, and Pete golfing is still allowed down here. There's still the golf courses are loaded up, but it's one person per cart. <laughs> <laughs> well, now wait a minute. What happens if you hit the ball into the sand trap? Are you allowed to walk on that sand to get to that, that sand? sand Sorry, is not okay, beach yes, sand. that's that not beach. Good. Sand. That was good, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, also a kind of odd story: uh, the manager of Rose Brothers Furniture um, in Wilmington is now the first, and according to WECT, the only business that has been cited for not complying with a county to uh, county order. Uh, designed to slow the spread of COVID-19. And the manager said that he is frustrated over the selective enforcement of the new order regarding furniture stores. He says it's very confusing. He says, I don't understand why they come into the store and they give us a citation for not taping off the furniture areas, which are not required from these other retail stores that we've gone and checked. This is according to general manager Bill Shugart. 
Sugart, I don't know. Um, he says uh, that they've gone to other stores. They looked at what other stores were doing, like these big boxes and stuff. And the, the according to the uh, story here, and the, the city ordinance says that if you sell appliances, those are considered essential, <laughs> but the furniture is not. And yeah. so they got told on a Tuesday, you got to rope off your furniture. And then they came back on Wednesday and cited them. So, There's so much irony here. <laughs> you just hit, because you want to rope off your furniture like it's a crime scene. Right. Meanwhile, the guys enforcing crimes or gangland murders are down so far that we have to go chase down furniture. Uh, in Rosemont, I think the city manager's name is Sterling Cheatham. That may be a code enforcement officer. But think about how boring their life must be that they're running into a furniture store trying to cite a business that's suffering and make their suffering even worse. Well, you well, know, you can, you've got social distance in a furniture store. It's not like you're on top of each other. Right. But I guess that so what they're saying is that if you were to go in and you have COVID-19, but like you're asymptomatic and you sit down on the couch, test out the couch, and then I come in after you and sit down on the couch. And now I'm going to catch it from you because I will have sat on the same couch in the same spot yeah. within a certain amount of time. I guess the risks are just too, too great. The odds are too great that two people will sit on the same seat on a couch within enough time for the virus to jump from you to the couch to me. Um, but by all means, go to Lowe's and Home Depot and see the circus that's that right. in spring. <laughs> that is that's true. essential, baby. That's essential stuff. Hey? Right. It is one of the... It's. It, this is one of the... Uh, it's one of the things I talked with John Sanders from the John Locke Foundation about this very thing. And, and I said to him, like, my wife is kind of the canary in the coal mine for me in that if something is breaking through and it pops up on her radar uh, in the political world, you know, or in the current events world, something has popped through to her, then I know there's something to it. And this this issue of inconsistent application of the standards this is yeah. this has broken through. People are people recognize a lot of this stuff seems still it just seems silly. It seems out of John Sanders, good friend of mine, former colleague. I used to work there, uh, and he's absolutely right. It is a it, it's an inconsistent application which creates rampant hypocrisy, and people figure that out. You don't have to have a, any kind of degree to look and say, wait, this doesn't make any sense at all. And that's where we're really heading. I, I'm hoping we're coming out of this. I'm seeing signs that. They're figuring out a way which start parts of the business sectors we open up again. But but I hope we learn a lot about rights, and I don't think we will, Pete. My concern here is that we, we go through this exercise, and we don't really look at what rights we have, and we take them for granted. And then when something like this happens, we freely surrender them. Um, and become, you know, a third world country very quickly. My hope on that front is that there are. This goes to sort of the, you know, the 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 sheepdog, sheep and wolf uh, uh, philosophy that's usually expressed around the Second Amendment issue. But there are the, the sheepdogs are the ones that you know run around the perimeter of the property, barking at all of the noises in the night, and you know they they, they kind of drive everybody crazy because they're always barking at everything. But they they do guard against the wolves and. So I think like my view on this is there are there are some sheepdogs that are barking earlier than others and I'm not really barking at this time because I I understand the need for it but I don't know how long I think the longer we go the more barking will occur I think more and more people will start saying okay this is getting this is ridiculous I think 
people are willing to put up with stuff in the short term that they're not going to be willing to put up with in the long term. It's it's not like after 9-11. We were willing to go through extra... I mean, I was flagged with a name like William Adams, of all things. You know, flagged, you can't fly, because somebody named William Adams somewhere in the world had a problem. So you do that for a little while, and then you come out of it, and you, you want to get to a, some degree of sense. And I agree with you that, that looking forward... We know that pandemics will occur. We had one in 2009, now 2020. We have another one. Did we learn a lot from 2009? I don't know that we did. I don't remember it being as newsworthy. It affected a lot of people. And I'm not trying to compare the flu to this. I'm not. Mm -hmm. Oh, how dare you? The point is, we have hospitals with $17 billion in reserves. Some of it's in the community. They were not prepared for this. Why weren't they more prepared? why we know these pandemics come so we can sit here and point fingers and i don't want to point fingers at the hospital administrators because the workers are doing stellar work but a lot of times it's like when you when you criticize teaching you don't criticize you're not criticizing the teachers as much as you are the administrators so what are we doing you know when we look back on this how will history record that we handled it i hope that we handled it okay i hope fewer people die i hope the curve gets flattened there's a lot we hope but we've got to be mindful of our rights in in, in amidst this and getting through it yeah and i think the time for uh blame except when it comes to china we should be blaming them constantly but every day uh, yeah so aside from that piece i think there there's definitely going to be you know the opportunity to go through and see what worked what didn't what should have happened what didn't happen um and and then you know uh, we can have all of the accusations and recriminations at that point right now like i i'm i'm trying to focus on on what we can do to get through it as quickly as possible and save the most amount of lives as possible within, you know, and recognizing that it's not, it's one of the questions that uh, has been posed by, I think, dishonest debaters is one of lives versus the economy or lives versus money. And I have never seen it that way. I believe it to be lives versus lives in that, it's just a different kind of, essentially a different kind of death that you're talking about. Because when unemployment goes up, suicides go up, uh, health outcomes go down. And uh, I mean, I just yes. saw a stat, you know, we're drinking more alcohol, smoking more weed, uh, getting less exercise, not going outside. like, And all of these things have ramifications on our health. And so uh, I, it, I don't think it's an honest uh, uh, choice of lives versus money, but when we talk about, hey, how are we going to get out of this? How are we going to, like, you know, pull this this uh, uh, peg out of the spokes and start up the economy again? You would think that you're advocating the mass murder of, of you know, hundreds of thousands of people right then and there. Um, so, like, that, that's that been a frustration. But I am starting to see people that are at least paying some attention to it now more so than they were, I think, like two weeks ago, which is, I think, a positive. I would agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think that people are ready to get back to work. One of the concerns I have is whenever you're dealing with an epidemiological situation, dealing with viruses, what's so critical is understanding what's going on. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing that some of the deaths are not necessarily attributable to the deaths because if if your family member goes to the hospital and they die of of anything else, their insurance, if you don't have insurance, you've got to figure out a way to pay. But if they die of COVID, well, then it's covered. So, you know, they die of a heart attack, but they just happen to test positive for COVID that's recorded as a COVID death. And I think the important thing is whenever you're fighting a battle like this, you've got to have accuracy in your reporting and the history of it and what happened and how it transmitted. And I'm get concerned that, that a lot of the politicis, the political process here will look for people to blame 
rather than, okay, here's what happened, what we learned from it. I hate that. I would hate to have a bifurcated historical reference here where one group sees it one way and another sees it another rather than recording what happened. Well, and to your point about how do you count a death uh, in, you know, this in this current uh, environment? And I get the criticism that people say, well, they had, you know, they had underlying issues and then they got uh, they got COVID-19 and then they died. And so it's going to count as a COVID death. But, you know, they were already really sick beforehand. And so why is it a COVID death? But uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it, it seems to me like if you weren't dead before and then you got COVID-19 and then you died, it seems I don't know. It seems rational to apply that to the death certificate. To the cause of death? Except if you have cancer. My father's a good example. He has multiple myeloma. It's a form, it's an irreparable form of cancer. Ultimately, you know, it will likely prevail. It's not a cure. Um, a lot of people who get that type of cancer will die of pneumonia. They get an infection. Now, on the death certificate, do we say, well, the cancer killed him or the second or tertiary infection that takes him out? So th- th- it'll probably be listed as the cancer, you know? Or And with AIDS, people who died of AIDS, we listed. AIDS, but we didn't list that they died of uh, Kaposi's sarcoma, which was the form of cancer that killed a lot of people that got AIDS because their immune system couldn't respond. So they got something that you and I wouldn't get. Those are the kind of things that we have to look at the accuracy. So, yeah, we can say all of the deaths are attributed to COVID if you happen to test positive. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's a difficult thing that we need to have some accuracy with, though. Right. And I guess this is going to this is going to vary state to state, dare I say, hospital to hospital. Um I'm trying to think. Uh, my both of my in-laws, uh, Christie's uh, parents, they both died pretty qu- uh, 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 soon after. First, her mom passed away, and then uh, two years later, her dad passed away. And um, they both had, you know, one had uh, esophageal cancer, and then the other had a, a brain tumor. But uh, they, they, uh, her mom died of pneumonia double pneumonia and that's I, I believe that's what they put down as the cause of death and and when we were talking about it the other day i said basically everybody dies from the same thing lack of oxygen to the brain like that's like if you really want to get down to it that's what everybody dies from so how specific well, do you want to get and what difference does it make if you're trying to attribute it for i guess you mentioned the financial uh component of it yes that makes sense but if you're trying to just track data I could see the value in including COVID-19 on all of the death certificates so you could see how many people actually had it and probably likely it, it led to their more early, I guess, their earlier demise. Uh, sure. Uh, and, and again, it's it's a contributing factor. Certainly your in-law, you know, was, it was a contributing, the, the, the cancer is a contributing factor to her death. It yeah. calls her death. I'm, you know, I'm reading Bill Bryson's book, The Body, right now. Phenomenal book if anyone gets a chance to read it. Uh, and in that book, he talks about there's 161,000 different ways to die, and only one of them gets us. Only one of them gets us. So that's pretty good. We defeat the other 163,490. <laughs> you know, we only one of them gets us. That's so, interesting. Uh, but, but we do. I mean, we, we lose 700,000 people a year to lung cancer. We lose. We're losing Americans every day. The good news through this is there are fewer acts of violence that are taking place. Fewer fights. Fewer knifings. Fewer shootings. Um, hospital beds are opening up because the normal influx through the emergency room isn't happening like it used to. So, and that's not good news. It's just it happens to be the aspect of us being inside and, and being quarantined in a way. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to learn, and I'm just excited to see our society get back functioning again, as you are and so many other people are. Right, because I think, and maybe this is how you have kind of a, an economic wonky uh, uh, perspective on stuff as I do, and 
we recognize that that these are real people that are being affected, you know, and to say, well, we'll just close down for a couple of weeks. Like small businesses do not have a couple of weeks of cash on nope. hand to just, you know, skate by until, uh, until sort of the knowledge economy workers, uh, you know, crawl out of their studio apartments in Manhattan and say, okay, everybody go back to work now. Um, that, yep. th- that's not how a lot of these small businesses operate. They don't have maybe, Maybe a month they can go by, but North Carolina, we're already, we're already almost at the month point. And now the governor's order takes us through the end of April. And I saw today, uh, what some of these doctors are saying, well, if we can just keep this up through May, like, okay, that's not going to happen. I cannot see us keeping this up through May. You're right. And and if you're in a business that has, if you have four weeks, you know, to carry yourself from a, a surplus standpoint or cash standpoint, that's only four weeks. And even if you take the assistance, which we're borrowing, by the way, it's not like the government's sitting on trillions of dollars, that you have to promise to pay your employee for 12 weeks in order to get eight weeks of assistance. This is a bizarre, and you, you're right, you don't just crank these things up because our, it's all interconnected so much that one one spoke in the wheel and the wheel doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And they all, I mean, we're pouring hundreds of thousands of gallons of milk out, just opening the valves up because the schools aren't using it, the restaurants aren't using it, but this cow still has to be milked. The cost <laughs> of milking the cow is there, you know? The cow's yeah. like, well, no, no, no. So we, it's all interconnected. We have a beautiful system, but when you t- start taking away a lot of the different spokes, you can't just crank it back up. It's going to take a while. Yeah. Well, uh, just I hope everybody is enjoying this uh, 60-day free trial of communism. And uh, just if we look <laughs> at it like that. <laughs> it's Venezuela on a good day. That's, what... <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. Well, hey, uh, are, and so you are at, you're, you're at Oak Island as we speak? I am. Yes. Yeah. Have don't you walked on the that. sand? Please. No, don't tell me that. I, if, I have walked near the sand. I walked up to near the sand and wanted to like get a feel for what walking on sand would be like, but I didn't I didn't go there yet. Yeah, cuz I hadn't chosen to challenge that. Yeah, in today's environment, simply putting a foot into the sand will probably prompt somebody to call local police yes. to come harass you. That's that we've turned into this uh uh, into this hall monitor society uh, all of a sudden. It, yes. it, it, very quickly, I was uh, kind of surprised at how quickly everybody took to the ratting out their neighbors uh, for having the temerity to walk outside uh, and get some exercise. Uh, it, that's kind of sad. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Chad, we appreciate your time, sir. Thanks so much. And uh, prayers for your family. And I hope they, uh, um, uh, well, I hope, I mean, I hope your dad and everybody you get situated with the, the, the uh, hospital and, and all that you're dealing with. Um, and Pete, I want to be, I want to congratulate you. I want to congratulate you on your transition and what you're doing. Look, as someone who's a big fan of talk radio, believes in it, invested in it, I'm very proud of what you're doing. And well, look forward you. to many, many more good news stories about you. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate that. Chad Adams, conservative commentator and uh, the owner of Wilmington's Big Talker, 106.7 FM. You can find them on the internet at wilmingtonbigtalker.com. Chad, thank you. Thank you, Pete. All right, let me tell you about my friend Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Uh, great guy, and uh, for the weeks before everything went on lockdown, he was giving out free advice. People would call in uh, to his store, or they would drop by his store when you could still venture outside of your house, uh, and they uh, would ask him, hey, what do I need? I'm looking for you know some stuff to be prepared. And uh, he told me at the time, he said like 80% 
of his time was spent answering calls about being prepared for emergencies, and only 20% of his time was actually doing any kind of sales. That's the kind of guy he is. Now, in our COVID culture, he has now moved all of his stuff uh, online. He's building up his web presence and such. Oldgrouch.com. Yes, he still has the, the shop in downtown Clyde on Main Street, which is a great shop and looking forward to that getting reopened. But for now, it's all on the website, oldgrouch.com. You can also text him. This is just for listeners of this show. You can text him to make an order, ask about an item, or if you're looking for advice, because that is what he spent a lot of his time doing beforehand, right? Uh, Get some advice from him all by texting him. No calls, just texts at 828-565-2497. By the way, if you are EMS or law enforcement professional, if you are uh, looking for uniforms and there's now a greater demand, particularly for like EMS folks who have to now change their uh, uh, change their clothes, their uniforms more often. Uh, if you need uniforms, get in contact with Tim. He'll do appointments for you uh, for your uniform needs. 565-2497. Texts only, he asks. It's just him. So uh, shoot him a text message. 565-2497. Oldgrouch.com. Oldgrouch's military surplus. All right. Meanwhile, it's not just the coast that's got craziness happening, or Charlotte for that matter. Wake County as well. Get this. This is a story out of the Carolina Journal, Plymouth Church in Raleigh, okay? The church's administrative assistant still comes in, even though things at the church are mostly quiet. Dr. Chris Parton, Plymouth's pastor, can't visit members of his church family in hospitals or rest homes. Opportunities to fellowship, a crucial aspect of faith and worship, no longer happen, at least not in any tangible way, writes John Trump at the Carolina Journal. Uh, Parton had a simple idea, though. He wanted to celebrate uh, the most holy week for Christians, one that kept people 10 feet apart and seemingly put nobody at risk. Sort of a passion play, sans costumes and theatrics. Worshippers would stay in their cars and church staff, again, spread out in the parking lot, would try to relay a bit of normalcy. Governor Roy Cooper, in a letter, appeared okay with the idea, but... In these strange and often illogical times when local orders often supersede those from the governor, Wake County disagreed. So the idea here at Plymouth Church in Raleigh was to have the parking lot act as sort of a um, sort of like a Christmas lights display. You know, you, you've been through like McCaddenville um, or Shadracks, you know, like, and you drive through and you see all the lights and you never get out of car. You know, you just you just kind of proceed through and so this was sort of the idea that they had they had different stations that they were going to set up you know one would have a keyboardist playing and then another would be you know the preacher and his wife but the the key here is that they would get to see people and you would get to talk with them and touch base and have some some sense of normalcy that a lot of folks are not getting and uh, he got the idea at least in part from his wife who actually joined dozens of teachers at an elementary school uh, before the lockdowns happened. Uh, and they, the, uh, all of these folks got in their cars and they would trace the school bus routes and they would visit students just from the street, right? So that's where this idea came from. 
So he writes a letter to the governor, um, or I'm sorry, the, the Sheriff's Association writes a letter to the governor March 31st and asked whether drive-in church services with fewer than 10 people would be allowed under the state's shelter-in-place order. And the Sheriff's Association said the way these church services have been explained, all church members are basically quarantined inside their vehicles with the windows down, with the pastor standing outside giving a sermon via a loudspeaker or something. Some of our churches would like to do this, and we need to know whether or not it's lawful under your executive order. And so Cooper in another letter dated March 31st, said, quote, I trust law enforcement's judgment in directing people to abide by local and state health department guidance. These gatherings appear to be acceptable as long as individuals remain in their vehicles and avoid contact. However, in Wake County, they have a local ordinance that takes precedence, says the Wake County Attorney's Office. The Wake County proclamation, uh, dated April 4th, According to CarolinaJournal.com, states, quote, that it provides the faith organiza- uh, provides that faith organizations and institutions may only be allowed to stay open for the purpose of providing online distribution, audio or visual broadcasting of services, providing only minimal staff required for said broadcast or distribution, and are present and implement social distancing practices. So, since drive-in or drive-through church services would involve the presence of not just minimal staff, but other individuals as well, they are prohibited by the Wake County Proclamation. So the governor's office says, this is fine. The county says, no, it's not. John Goose, who is the legal, uh, sorry, the director of legal studies at the John Locke Foundation, uh, expressed concerns in this article. He says, uh, notably, you know, this infringes on people's rights to free exercise of religion. A constitutional right, uh, no less. Quote, the courts regard the free exercise of religion as one of the most sacrosanct of all constitutional rights, he says. As a result, regulations that restrict the free exercise of religion and subject, uh, sorry, are subject to the highest level of judicial scrutiny and will only be upheld if they meet a two-part test. What's the two-part test? Luckily, he explains it for me. First, they must further a compelling governmental interest. Second, they must be narrowly tailored so that they achieve their objective in the least restrictive way possible. So two tests here, right? Compelling government interest. So preventing the spread of COVID-19, without a doubt, constitutes a compelling government interest, right? I think we can all agree you want to stop a pandemic, you're trying to uh, stop this outbreak. That is a compelling governmental interest. But the restrictions on the movement of people imposed by the county's order fail the second part of the test. The narrowly tailored has to be narrowly tailored so uh, you can achieve, uh, achieve the objective in the least restrictive way possible, right? So it fails that part of the test in two different ways. First way, the county attorney's statement that religious services do not qualify as essential under the order, that doesn't make much sense. If the exercise of religion is sufficiently important to merit a specifically enumerated constitutional right, it must certainly be important enough to be classified as an essential activity under any emergency order, right? Either the county attorney is misinterpreting the order or the order itself is unconstitutional in that regard, says John Goose. Um, 
Even essential services can be restricted, he says. But when it comes to restrictions on the free exercise of religion, the restrictions must accomplish their objective in the least restrictive way possible. At least as interpreted by the county attorney, he says, these restrictions don't do that. A well-organized drive-in church service would clearly minimize the risk of infection, so any order forbidding such services violates the constitutional right to the free exercise of religion, he says. So that's Wake County. (laughs) Oh, goodness. It really is amazing these times we are in. Um, I said this a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, actually, when the uh, Congress was debating the $2 trillion relief package, I said, if we're doing helicopter casts, just get the money out the door as quickly as possible, right? Well, now what what's happened? We are now uh, April 8th. That's when I'm doing this show, April 8th. The number of households who paid rent during the first five days of April plunged 12 percentage points from the same period in March, okay? So as of April 5th, 69% of households made their monthly payment compared with 81% in the same time period of March. And if you go back to last April, 2019, and you look for a comparison, it was 82%. So under normal circumstances, we would expect to see uh, eight out of 10 people paying their rent within the first five days of the month of April. And now it's down to under seven out of 10. It's going to get worse. Multifamily housing is usually well known for its ability to weather downturns, because this is the thinking, at least, is that People are always going to need a place to live. And so in lean times, landlords are able to moderate their rent increases if need be. But the sector has been, uh, while popular in the recent months, according to the Financial Times, investors have been pouring money into it, uh, thinking that there was going to be a downturn in the uh, in uh, the economy and you got the shortage of housing uh, already. But the speed and intensity with which the economy shut down, that is far beyond what most investors had expected. Oh, and then you also have people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying we should all stop paying rent on a rent strike. So that's not helpful either. What is helpful is subscribing to the podcast. I do appreciate it. Uh, go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Thank you so much for your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Hey.